0: Right? Today we're still in our series, we're almost at the end of our series about meeting Jesus. Uh, today we're meeting Jesus on the cross, front and center. If you guys are note takers, uh, front and center, we are meeting Jesus on the cross. That's exactly where he is in Luke chapter 23. Uh, as you guys find it, Luke chapter 23, we're going to start off in verse 32. I um, want remind you guys about something super important, all right, that God is is absolutely overwhelmingly in love with you. It's hard to believe. It's hard to imagine. And when you read things and different verses in the Bible, when it says, uh, you know what, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I do not understand how I was part of that joy. I don't. When I look in the mirror, I see my faults and my failures and my shortcomings and the things I can't be and I want to be but seem to fall short of all the time. And it's like, gosh, there's no way. How how could this guy possibly be part of the joy that Jesus had when he had to endure something like the cross? And though I cannot understand it, I don't get it, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. It doesn't. God's love, God's joy, God's unending grace is not dependent upon who you are or what you are like. That when he died for the sins of the world, it wasn't a secret mission that he was on to only forgive the elite or the religious Uh, or a specific minority that he came for. He died for the sins of the world. That is you and I. You are the joy that was before Jesus Christ as he attempted to drag that cross up the hill after being beaten and whipped, thorns slammed into his skull. It is crazy. Why would he do that? The honest answer is you. It's amazing to think. I think Christmas is the only birthday party we celebrate where the the person's birth is one giving all the gifts. What do we possibly give Jesus on his birthday that matters? Worship, maybe? Praise, hopefully? Maybe we can pray that day with thanksgiving. But it's not about anything other than truly that perfect gift we'll talk about Jesus. And this is where it all takes place. We're meeting Jesus today on the cross. And we talk about being front and center. You guys ever been looking for something that's right in front of you? Like right in front of you. You play that game like hot and cold. You're getting warmer, warmer, hot. So hot you'd be on fire. And then someone says, if it was a snake, it'd be biting you by now. You guys have heard that phrase before? Well, in this chapter, you never heard that phrase? That's a good old phrase. If it was a snake, it would have bitten you. Uh, it means it's like so close, you're within a couple inches, all right? It would it get you by now. And when it's obvious and it's right in front of you, kind of like the whole phrase, Christmas. What's it about? Christ. It's the first like six, seven letters in the whole word, and mas, I'm pretty sure, uh, is Spanish, which was probably Latin for more, right? Mas tamales at Christmas. I love it. Or mas funnel cake when you go to Knott's Farm. Give me more. It's more of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Christmas, sometimes it's right in front of us, and we're missing it, and the whole world, it's right in front of them, and yet they're missing it. Just like Luke chapter 23, so much was going on. It is overwhelming to see what God was doing on this mount called Golgotha or the place of the skull. It is crazy. And we're going to look at it today that it was right in front of them. They missed it. That cannot be us. And we cannot let those which we can reach for Jesus slip away without knowing what it's all about. Take a look. Chapter 23, starting in verse 32. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Quick question. Where does that put Jesus? If one's on the right and the other's on the left, where's Jesus in this lineup? Dead center. Right in the middle. Front and center, he's obvious. He's the focus. He's everything. Even in the position of where he was on the cross, it's all about him from the very, very beginning. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, uh, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do." And they divided his, uh, his sorry, and they divided his garments and they cast lots for them. It's a crazy opening to this story. He'd already been tried. Remember, Pilate found him innocent. I found no guilt in this man. And they just cried, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, the condemned murderer. We don't care. Give us the criminals. Just crucify the innocent. Kill Jesus. And it was against uh, anyone of authority. Their position was Jesus is guilty. Or sorry, innocent. Innocent. There's no guilt, he's sinless, he hasn't broken any rules, and yet they were pushed by popular opinion to do what they did not want to do. Pilate's own wife was saying, you better not have anything to do with this. Should have listened to her, huh? His own understanding, he should have listened to it, but he didn't. He was pushed by the crowd, pushed by the rulers uh, into crucifying Jesus. It's amazing. Jesus was not the only one crucified. There were two others, one on the right, one on the left. If you think about this, it says that they were led with Jesus to the hill called Calvary, right? It means that they would have heard the things that Jesus said. They would have seen what Jesus did. They were experiencing all of this at the same time. They were observing the attitude uh, and the character of Christ all the way from the place which he was uh, condemned, the place which he was beat and whipped, all the way up the hill and laid upon the boards and the nails ran through his hands and his feet. They were right there observing the entire thing. They saw Jesus go through the most chaotic experience you could ever go through, crucified in a place called Calvary. other words, Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's this huge dome mountain, nothing on top, just a bunch of rock. It's slick, uh, and yet it is a place which everyone knew of. It wasn't there because that's where people died. It was there because of its shape. Um, It's not far outside of the city of Jerusalem, but Jesus was the center, one on the right, one on the left. The place of being sinner is the place that was assumed to be the most guilty, the greatest offender. And so they put Jesus in a position of absolutely full and overwhelming guilt. That when people would travel by and they would see the people hung upon the cross, it would be an example. It was supposed to be an example. You guys ever see movies where they, they hang people and leave them hanging on the road so when people come into the city, they know this is what we do to thieves or this is what we do to murderers. In the very same way, they put Jesus up on display as the most guilty person of the time. And yet he was the only one who was completely innocent. The reality is God has not hidden himself. He hasn't. You ever play hide and seek with a little kid? Some of you are mean and some of you are nice. If you're mean, you stay hiding until that kid feels like he's alone and, and, and he can't find you or you disappear to the rapture happened, something, he's freaking out. Uh, you're, you're so good at hiding. You're like up in the top part of the closet and this little baby kids crying, I'm alone. But then there's most of you guys who will sit dead center in the room, just put a blanket over you and you're like, ha, ha, ha. and they come into your room like, where are you? You're like, I don't know, where am I? We We treat God as if he's this, difficult person who doesn't want to be found and is hiding up somewhere very, very far away. And if we try hard enough, eventually we might come to see what he is like. That is not it. God has never put himself in a position that is difficult to find his grace and his love and his mercy and his meekness puts him in this, the position that it's just a simple covering that if we look through it, you would see Christ in all things. Think about the Bible. It was the things that God ever did hard to find out? You know how big the ark was, right? Huge, massive, overwhelmingly just gigantic. You think it would have been hard to find the ark? No, if you wanted to find the ark, as people probably knew, man, that Noah guy's up to something. What's he building? No, what are you doing? Building an ark? What's an ark? A boat? What's a boat? Boat floats in water. Ha, that's stupid. It's never rained. But the one thing for sure, it wouldn't have been hard to find the ark. It would have been obvious where the ark was. A whole lot of trees start missing. This gigantic project's happening. It took years. It was obvious. Think about other things throughout the Bible. When they were led out of uh, Egypt, what guided them? The nation of Israel, they were enslaved uh, by Egypt, and they're finally set free, right? Moses like, let my people go. What did they follow? What do you think, Josh? A uh, uh, pillar of like, the tornado is also fire at night. It was a pillar of fire by night, and uh, during the day, since you can't see fire, it was a, a cloud. Do you think it would have been hard to see this massive pillar of fire at night? No. Of course not. Would it be hard to see this huge pillar of smoke by day? Of course not. People weren't saying, like, oh my gosh, where do we go? I think I'm lost. It was like, no, nope. follow the fire, follow the smoke. It was easy. Anybody could do it. Even a little child could just say, hey, see that smoke? Yeah, follow it. Okay. Whether the ark, huge, not hard to find. A pillar of fire by night and smoke by day, not hard to follow. The tabernacle, when they're given the dimensions of the tabernacle, that wouldn't have been a difficult place to go. The place was enormous and it was beautiful and it was full of uh, very intricate design and intentional layout. It was amazing. It wouldn't have been hard to find or understand or be part of. The question was, would you be willing to? All All of them the Ark, would you be willing to get on it? Not "If you can find it, then you can come with me." It's, "You want to get on? You want to get on?" That's the question. Same thing. There's the pillar of fire and smoke. It's not, "Can you find it? It's, "Will you follow?" Same thing with the tabernacle. It's not, "Well, where to go? I can't worship God because I don't know where church is. Can you imagine not being able to find this place a block away? Like, Give me a break. Look at our church. It's huge. It's like standing in the courtyard saying you're lost. Guys, God's not hard to find. He's never been hard to find since the very beginning. The question is that can we find God? The question is, are we willing to follow him? The people in Luke chapter 23 here are going through that very thing. Romans 1 verse 20 says, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his faithfulness, his power, his might, his sovereignty, his grace, his love, all of what God is, his unseen attributes... They are actually clearly seen. They're understood when you look at the things that are made, even his eternal power, his Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God's always put it on display who he is. No one has ever died having an excuse as to why they didn't believe in Jesus. John 16, verse 8, and when he had come, speaking of Jesus, he will, or sorry, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit has been coming along, convicting of sin The whole time. Not only is it difficult to not see the Lord, it's impossible not to understand his conviction. John 1, 4 through 5, In him was life. This one's speaking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus came to be seen. He came as light. I don't think he walked around glowing, all right? That's not what this is saying. It's that he was the truth and the hope and the life that the world needed, that he was there. He was in public places. He wasn't hidden. Question is, do you want to see him? Do we want to see him? Yes. Right on, I hope. Front and center. Jesus was right in the middle of it all. So Jesus is front and center, his position, right, on the cross, right in the middle. You with me so far? What else? So much stuff's in here. Take a look. Uh, It was foretold in prophecy. It was foretold in prophecy way, 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 way in advance what it would all be like. Isaiah chapter 46, uh, verse 9 through 10. It says, remember the former things of old. It says, look back and see what I've said. That's what he's saying. Remember the things from times past. For I am God and there is no other, there's no other God. If anyone ever tells you there's a whole bunch of gods or a whole bunch of uh, ways to get there, they're lying to you. There's one God. There's a lot of religions, right? Then what are all the other religions, by the way? They're false. They're lies. The Bible says they're doctrines of demons. You guys, as long as you're not believing in Jesus, does Satan care what you believe in? No. Does he care if you're a Muslim? No. Does he care if you're a Buddhist? No. Does he care if you're a Mormon? Or part of the Baha'i faith? Or you want to just believe like one world globalism peace stuff? Like he doesn't care. Take your pick. As long as you don't pick the truth, I don't care what you pick, he would say. There is one God. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. What's one of the things that God has done to reveal who he is? Not only his position, but prophecy. He has foretold things. Look, he says it. There's none like me. I've declared the end from the very beginning. And from ancient times, the things that have not even happened yet. Saying my counsel, or the things that I have decreed, shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Let me make something clear though. When we talk about Bible prophecy, we're not talking about fortune telling, okay? Sometimes people think about Uh, prophecy and the Bible foretelling things and this right here, that God must have had some huge crystal ball and, ooh, what's going to take place? That's not what it means. Fortune telling is demonic and a joke. When God gives uh, future things or God gives prophecy about the future, it's not, imagine if I sit here today, like, hey, I I, I foresee it's going to rain in the next 12 months. Am I going to be right? Most likely. It's 70% chance of rain on Friday, okay? Um, if I look out the window and it's raining and I say, hey, I bet when you go outside, it'll be raining. Like, oh, that guy was right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or if I say, hey, I bet today something's going to happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing something's, you're going to eat dinner. Someone's going to say hi to you. You're going to get in a car. You're going to pick your nose. You're going to paint your nails, whatever, ladies. You're going to um, something, right? Something's going to happen to you. We take what God has said, but these are not generic things. These are not just generic, like, oh, eventually something neat's gonna happen. He makes it very, very, very clear, very precise. There are over a hundred different prophecies just about Jesus alone. He's told us how it's gonna end. Read the book of Revelation, it's amazing. It is amazing. What up, Josh? Is it hot in here to you guys? Dude, it's cold. Sorry. My fan. Oh, my fan is here. Never mind. I'm burning up. Okay. What's that? It's in the process of getting there, but we're not there yet. It's happening, though. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, prophecies of Israel are crazy. We could spend a whole day talking about just that. So here's the deal. Think it out. When God gives prophecy, when God foretells things in advance, they're specific. They're not generic like, hey, in the springtime, the grass might turn green. Or, hey, it might rain someday. Or, hey, something's going to happen to you. Okay, That's not it. He spells it out. When we read this story, take a look again. Verse 32. And there were two other criminals led with him to be put to death, and they had come and placed them or to a place called Calvary. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them, sneering, said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. They begin to mock him. Now you look at just this setting. There's a ton of others about Jesus' birth, about what he would do with his life, when you look at the prophecies of this specific event, it's amazing. Uh, the prophecies about casting lots. You guys know what casting lots is? Uh, it's, it's basically betting. Maybe pretend you're taking a bunch of dice and whoever rolls the highest number wins, all right? Uh, or you're drawing straws. They're all different sizes. Whoever gets the shortest stick loses. Uh, it, it, it's a form of gambling, and so they're casting lots, and they're dividing up his clothes. We just read it right here, didn't we not? That Where'd it go? Verse 34 ends, and they divided his garments and cast lots. They take us close. He's up on the cross. He's been crucified. They take all of his belongings. The soldiers are down there laughing. Oh, look at that guy I nailed up to the cross. Get yourself down, freak. Like, could you imagine the things they're saying to Jesus? He says they're mocking him. Ha <laughs> ha, you think you're so powerful? You think you're God? Oh, you're the Savior? Save yourself. Bet you can't, oh, see, can't do it. He's not God. What a joke. This guy's a joke. What did Jesus do? said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. If any one of us were in that position, we'd be, Father, fry them. I'm out of here. The people that he loved most crucified him and nailed him to a cross. The soldiers down, taking his his tunic and his jacket and his belongings, they begin to gamble away and see, oh, look, I got a new jacket. I got his sandals. I got Whatever. Psalms 22, 18. This is amazing. Approximately, roughly, a thousand years before Jesus was in this place, a thousand years in advance, it says, They divided my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. A thousand years in advance, we're told that when Jesus would be crucified, if it was really Jesus, they would take his clothing, they would gamble it away and cast lots. And what happens? It's exactly what's taking place. Fulfilling prophecy in that moment, the crucifixion itself. Psalms 22, just previous to that, uh, verse 16 and 17 says, For dogs have surrounded me. It means the non believers, they've all gathered around they surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Where would they run the nails through when they crucified somebody? Their wrist, which was considered, your wrist and up was considered your hand at the time. All right? so like, what's well, his hand? And if you get nailed in the hand, it just slides through and you'll fall off. You'll have a really nasty wound, but you'll just fall off the cross. Y- your wrist and up was considered your hand, everything that moved. All right? So they would put it through right underneath your hand so that when you hung, it got stuck right there. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. You didn't actually die from... Well, we'll call it brilliant, not awesome. It was very smart. It was very smart. They could keep people alive for weeks on the cross. You'd slowly suffocate to death. So they put him through. The, you'd, you'd slide down, but it would stop. It'd get stuck. It'd be pulling your joints out. The longer you were there, your shoulder sockets, elbows, wrists would be popping out of its sockets. Your ligaments would be being torn. But remember, before that, they'd whipped him how many times? You guys know? Forty. Forty times. Like, What? 40! You ever hit with like a belt once? Okay. Oh, yeah, it hurts. Now, now, you know, forget leather belts. Now, imagine taking a leather belt, all right? You with me so far? And you cut it, the end of it into uh, seven or nine. Sorry, nine long skinny pieces. And then you put bone and glass and stone. You tie little pieces, like basically little tiny knives into the end of each nine pieces. And then imagine getting spanked with that. Boom! But here's the problem. When they hit you with it, the stuff would stick into you. So they wouldn't come and take it out. They would just rip it out, and with it would come muscle and flesh and skin, and it was insane. So one strike equals nine of these tearing devices, yeah? Jesus got 40 of those. Anybody know what 40 times nine is? 360 times he had the flesh ripped from his body. It's insane. It says at the end, you know what uh, like confetti looks like? Like the streamers? It says oftentimes your muscles look like streamers just hanging from your bones. It's insane. It says they after that they took it and they nailed through his hands and through his feet. The reason, You know why they did the feet? You'd die too fast if they didn't do the feet. It was their way of keeping you alive because you would really die of suffocation. You'd sink down and this would all close off. you. And so in order to breathe, you'd push up on the nail that was driven through your feet. You'd push up on that and try and get a breath and then sink back down and tear more ligaments and muscle. It was insane. When we talk about the cross and what Jesus went through, it wasn't this like, just kind of hug that God gave us. I love you. When we think Jesus died for us, it's so much more than that. None of us have ever seen anything close to what Jesus went through. Crucifixion, Wasn't invented until the Romans came into power, which is hundreds of years after this prophecy. It says, For dogs, the the non believers, they've surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked, they have enclosed in on me. There's a whole crowd where Jesus is. It's fulfilling prophecy told approximately a thousand years in advance. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. How's that possible? Remember the whip? I said oftentimes you can see people's, in organs and intestines and their bones. It says they look and they stare at me. It says when they were done with Jesus, you couldn't even tell if he was a person or not. It says he was, he was, uh, you could not discern if he was a, a, a man, meaning mankind. You couldn't tell what the heck that guy was. He was so torn up. And prophesied. It was foretold. God knew what he's getting himself in. Isn't it crazy God knew what he's getting himself into? It's not like his plan went wrong. His, it was actually going according to plan. From the casting of lots and the soldiers dividing his clothes, God said, it's going to happen. This is a prophecy. You'll know it's me when they begin to gamble my clothes away. And you'll know it's me when they run nails through my wrists and my feet and they stare at me and they can see my bones. I won't be crucified alone. We're told in Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years in advance. 700 years in advance, we're told in Isaiah chapter 53, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Here comes, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. He's with the criminals or those who broke the law. He's numbered with them. It goes on. There's there's two prophecies here for a second, but so far, just in this moment, we're seeing the casting of lots, the gambling for his clothes, prophesied a thousand years in advance. Uh, we're seeing the crucifixion that was prophesied a thousand years in advance, seven hundred years in advance. We're told he's not going to be crucified alone, but he's going to be numbered amongst the transgressors. The very same thing. You go to the next slide. It gives another one. It says, "And he bore the sins of many and made intercession." for the transgressors, the people that were there. What did he say when they're saying, this guy's a joke? Says the criminals on the cross, the right and the left. Know this for a minute. We'll talk about one of the guys in a second. But both of them were laughing and mocking him just like the people on the ground. Ha, yeah, save yourself. Oh, you don't know what you're doing. You're crazy, man. They (laughs) should've. The crowd, the criminals, The rulers, everybody was mocking Jesus. Everybody making fun of Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Like prophesied in advance, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Isn't it awesome? Jesus didn't. This is this is seriously huge and super important. He did not pray, God, forgive me. Why didn't Jesus say, "Forgive me"? He doesn't know sin. Forgive me of what? There's nothing he did wrong. There's nothing to seek forgiveness over. He was the perfect, perfect sacrifice. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. The soldiers would have heard it. The two thieves would have heard it. And we've got to pause for a second talking about this. Ignorant versus assumed grace. Okay, Ignorance versus assumed grace. There's a difference you guys know what the difference is? The key thing, Jesus has requested, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. They don't see, even though it's right in front of them, like Christmas, or or it's so obvious I fulfilled prophecy, and I'm right here. If you look in your dictionary, uh, the very word, for they do not know what they're doing, or they know not what they're doing, it means to be unaware they don't see it or they don't understand it. He says, God forgive them if God were saying, why? He says, they don't understand. They don't understand. Imagine if a little one-year-old baby learning to walk actually knocks over a vase. What do you do? You punish him. You spake him and sue him and lock him in the dungeon until he grows up, right? No. He didn't know. He didn't know. Or I remember when our kids were tiny, you pick them up and they're just like accidentally, they can barely keep their head up, they're like, and then they're like moving their hands and boom, hit you in the face, totally on accident. What, do you turn around and spank (flaps) them at six months old? No! But when they're 10, or maybe you go home and try it now, see how much grace you get. Go slap your mom in the face, see what happens. (laughs) Your life's over, right? Jesus says, Father, forgive them. He does not say, Father, forgive them because they know exactly what they're doing. They know that I'm God. They know I'm the Savior. They know I'm the Christ, and they don't care, so forgive them. That's not what he said. He said, forgive them. They don't see it. They don't see it. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so we take God's heart and the fact that God is love, and we just assume that we can sin our lives away, and in the end, God will forgive us. That's the assumed grace. They do not know what they're doing. The first part, forgive them for they, know not, they don't see it. They don't understand it. 1 Timothy 1.13. When we sin in ignorance, there's an, an amazing amount of grace and mercy that God has for our lives. When we accidentally mess up, guys, God will forgive you so fast. It says Although I was formerly a blasphemer, Paul's saying, hey, look... I used to deny Christ. I used to persecute the church. I used to imprison Christians. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. Why? Because I did it ignorantly, unaware I didn't see it, and in unbelief. Acts 3.17, exactly the same thing. It says, yet now, brethren, this is Peter speaking. He's talking about two of the people who literally put the nails through the hands of Christ. He says, you guys killed him. You guys crucified him. And yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Guys, when we sin in ignorance, God will forgive so quick. You guys ever mess up on accident? Maybe you lie and you didn't even mean to. You guys ever lie and you're like, where the heck did that come from? or you say a bad word you didn't mean to, uh, or you deceive someone, or you take something, or whatever, and it's like, that happens so fast. Guys, God's desire, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But then there's assumed grace. Assumed grace is like, oh, God is love. He'll forgive me in the end. I'll just go sin a little bit and then God will forgive me. I talked to a young man a couple months ago, high school age. I think he's a senior in high school. He said, Oh, you know what? My parents don't want me to do this thing. My friends have told me I shouldn't do this. I know that God doesn't want me to do this, but I'm doing it anyways because God will forgive me later. Really? Are you sure? Assumed grace. Oh, it's no big deal. I'll just ask for forgiveness. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, 21, and 22. It's kind of long, so just bear with me. It says, for if after they had escaped the pollutions of the world, it's not talking about smog or greenhouse gases. It's talking about sin. How'd they escape it? Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome Pause. This is talking about people. They come to church. They hear the gospel. Like, dude, this is sweet. I'm cleaning up my life. I'm getting it together. I'm going to go for it. But they never actually give their lives to the Lord. There's never that submission. There's no mention of absolute faith in here. They just they, they hear the gospel. They come out of the world. They become part of the church. They get Christian friends. They listen to Christian music. But they never become a Christian themselves. They escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, the knowledge, not the faith, the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then they are again entangled in the world or in them, and they are overcome. They go back to the thing, the life they had before. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It means hell will be worse for them than as if they never knew in the first place. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, didn't say they got on the way. It says they knew about it. It would have been better if they did not even know the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the proverb a dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, a pig, having been washed jumps right back and wallows in the mud. The Lord warns us against assumed grace. The person who never really is a believer They know the way, they know the words, they know how to act for a while. But they never choose to get on that narrow path. They never put their faith in Jesus, they just knew about him. He says, for you it will actually be worse in the end. And these are the same people like, oh, I know about Jesus, I'm good. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't see, they don't know what they're doing. For the believer, we have a tendency sometimes to do that. Proverbs 3.12, though, I'll tell you right now, if you ever get this idea, and I believe that that friend I was talking to you guys about he's a senior in high school who made that stinking knucklehead decision to go against his parents and against God and against everything he knew to be right, I think he's a believer. What's he doing? He's in for it. Proverbs 3.12, for the believer, what does it mean if we just assume God's grace? It says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father does to the son in whom he delights. I don't know what the spiritual spanking or grounding will be, but God's after him. He's in trouble. That when we assume God's grace in our lives because God is love, you better be very careful. You are in trouble with God. So far, Jesus, the position that he's in, dead center. Front and center on the cross, literally in the middle, the place of focus and attention, the prophecies told about that were to come. And then you'll hear people sometimes say, just show me a sign, right? You guys hear that sometimes uh, or you see movies uh, or you talk to people and like, oh, just show me a sign. You can read the gospel. People are like, Jesus, show us a sign. If the criminals were there or the audience was like, show us a sign. They're saying it, right? If you're the Christ, if you're God, then show us a sign. Get yourself off the cross. Just prove it. There was a sign. There was a sign. It was as clear as day. It's amazing. Look at verse 37 and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself and an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, the three main languages of the time. Show us a sign. There's a sign. Good grief. How much more clear can it get? This is the king of the Jews. Golly. How much more obvious did it need to be? Fulfilled prophecy, the position being in the middle and focused on, then a sign put above his head. This is Not, didn't claim to be, this is the king of the Jews. It's Pilate's response to Jesus' innocence. When we talk about king of the Jews, there can be some confusion. You're like, okay, I get it, but I don't get it. What does it mean? King of the Jews, what does it mean? Here's the definition. It's kind of long, but it gives some great understanding. It refers to an anointed king, a ruler of Israel who ushered in a messianic age, basically they believed Jesus was going to be the tangible king with a scepter and a crown and a throne and everything. All right? They believed they were going to knock out Rome and take over Israel, which he will do. Read Revelation. He's going to wipe out the nations of the world and reign in Israel. It's just not yet. It's soon to be, but it's not yet. The king of the Jews, it referred to someone who was anointed to be the ruler of Israel, who ushered in that messianic age or the age of Christ, and whose rule is of justice, mercy, compassion, and peace. This is awesome, Revelation 19 verse 6, it says, and when he returns, the name written upon him, on his thigh, on his robe, is king of kings and lord of lords. He's not just the king of Israel, he's the king of the world. He's not just the Lord, he's the Lord of all lords. This is funny, look at verse 39 in Luke, it says, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He's like, oh, get me down too. Just in case it happens to be true, let's throw myself in there. Guys, saving faith is a surrendering faith. It's not kind of a side note where you're like, oh, yeah, just a little bit for me too. There's some interesting if statements. Check it out. The if statements, uh, the rulers, the soldiers, and then I just call them criminal number one. I don't know what else to call them because we're told there's one criminal and then another criminal. So criminal number one, criminal number two. You can go to the next slide. Uh, we're talking about, oh, you can keep going. Keep going. <laughs> no, there's uh, some theories on who he was and names, but since they're theories, I don't, as of right now, know, so I'm not going to tell you. Uh, the rulers. The soldiers, the criminals, if you look back over at verse 35, 37, and 39, every one of them mocking, say, if, 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 meaning you're not, and if you were, you're not even proving it, the, all the ifs. Uh, the ruler said, if, right, if he, is, or if he is the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers, they questioned it. They said, if you are the king of the Jews, the ruler, uh, the criminal number one, the first guy to speak up, says, if you are the Christ or the Savior, all of them doubting over and over and over again, mocking and doubting what was right in front of them. The sign was posted, the prophecies were given, the position in the middle, how much more clear could God have made it? Just like the ark or the pillar of fire and smoke, it was all right there for them to know. It was in front of their face and they missed it. The cool thing about truth is missing truth doesn't change the truth. Just because you don't see it, Doesn't mean it's not right. I love it. Thomas Jefferson, probably my favorite president, said, Truth can stand by itself. It's a great little quote. Truth doesn't need to be propped up, truth doesn't need to be uh, lied about or exaggerated. It stands on its own. Jesus was the only one in that place that was innocent. John 18, 37, I came to bear witness of the truth. It's awesome. Here's the last thing before it's too late. Both thieves, both criminals started off mocking Jesus. Both of them joined in what the crowd was doing. Both of them heard the words. Both of them heard the prayer. Both of them saw everything everyone else saw. One of them changed their mind in an interesting place. Things can change in the strangest of places. Look at verse 40. But the other answering rebuked the first criminal saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? So don't you fear God? We're dead in a couple hours. You're going to be standing before God. We are you going to stop mocking this guy? And we indeed, we're justly, we're guilty. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. We're going to be punished for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me. He totally changed his mind. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This whole thing seems like everyone's missing it. And there was one. He he got it. The Bible says our days are numbered. No one knows the day or the hour in which we're going to pass. That God's numbered our days. He knows the day that we're going to be born and the day that we're going to die. It says that tomorrow is promised to no one. He didn't deny his guilt. This is where it all begins. Right, Jacob? It's where salvation all begins. Repentance. You've got to say, yeah, you know what? I'm guilty. This is the first guy to say, hey, wait a minute. We're guilty and he's innocent. The first ones to realize and to, to take upon himself, I messed up. We're so good at saying it's not my fault or having a reason why we messed up, not him. Acts 3.19, it says, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Confess your sins, and he is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He sees that Jesus had done nothing wrong. So many people see Jesus as anything other than what he was. They want to say he was a good guy, he was a prophet, Uh, they'll say anything other than his perfect sinless life and his divine nature, that he was God in human form. But Peter, Hebrews, and 1 John, they all tell us, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus didn't do not one lie, he didn't lust, he didn't cheat, he didn't steal, he wasn't full of anger and of sin, none of it. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted, yet without sin. 1 John 3, five. And you know that he was made known to us or manifest to take away our sins, and in him there was no sin. Pilate even told him, there's no guilt in this guy. He's sinless. It's the process of salvation. God's not hiding, the prophecies were foretold, the position of Jesus is clear, the sign was posted, it was all there, the question is, do you see it? One guy saw it, one guy saw it, he said remember me in your kingdom, What a simple request, what is Jesus' response? I'll remember you, I'll put a picture up at the time we were on the cross together, I won't forget you, no said, today, assuredly, I promise you, today you will be with me in paradise. And how sweet that must have sounded. Hanging on the cross, finding out in a few hours, I will be with Jesus in paradise. I didn't have to do anything, but believe. I didn't have to accomplish anything, but ask. Assuredly, I say, today you will be with me in paradise. John 14, 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. They would be in paradise, a dramatic change awesome you know there's a place in heaven with my name on it Do you know that so cool no not everybody only those who like this thief said i'm guilty jesus is perfect i need salvation not everyone only those who put their faith and trust in jesus but in heaven there's a house with my name isn't that crazy david's pad or whatever it's gonna say i don't know I hope it's a single story or there's an elevator. I hate stairs. But I'm sure I'll love whatever it is. It could be a tent. I don't care. But there's one with my name on it. And then how do I get there? Jesus says, actually, I'm going to come back and take you home. I'll come back for you. You don't have to. Just just trust in me. Follow me. Like the smoke and the fire, just keep going. By faith, keep going. I'll be back for you. Don't worry. I'm going to go build a house. i want to put your name on it so that where I am, you can be with me. I'll be back. Just keep walking by faith. Don't worry about what you see. Walk by faith. It's Awesome. Question is, do you have a house? I'm not young. And I'm, I'm too young to have a house. Nuh-uh. Isn't that cool? Like I you Go home today. Like, Mom, how old am I? 13? Yeah, I got a house. Or maybe you get saved today. Dude, I, I wish I got saved when I was like eight years old. That would have been so cool. I've been an eight-year-old with a house. Sick. I think I've shared this with somebody before, maybe all of you guys, but my aunt gave me this little plaque when I was a kid. I hung up in my room. I wasn't, I, I wasn't familiar with Christianity, but didn't, didn't get it, but I loved it. On it, was a picture of a cross and some clouds and stuff. It was engraved into this piece of wood. It said, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And Jesus said this much. Then he stretched out his arms and died. It's amazing. Guys, the love of God, it is clear. But do you see it? Don't just bank on assumed grace that at the end God's love will outweigh his righteousness. It's not going to happen. But when we put our faith and trust in the Lord, Jesus said, on this cross it was finished, completely paid for. Psalms 145, last verse, says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. I pray that's us today. If not, maybe today it starts. let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, that if we read the Bible slow enough, it it becomes clear. Lord, you've never hidden yourself. The prophecies foretold, the position on the cross, the sign that was posted, and yet, Lord, for so much of our lives, we can live like the crowd or the thieves. Lord, for those of us who believe, we thank you, God. We will worship you with our lives, we will worship you in song, we will worship you with our decisions, with our stuff. God, we thank you that somehow we were part of the joy that was set before you when you endured the cross. But Father, for those that don't know you, they've been banking on that assumed grace that you'll love them into the kingdom. Lord, you tell us, it is by grace. But it's only through faith. We've got to surrender and trust in you. Lord, today would you remind them over and over again. It's like that little story. How much do you love them? This much you would answer as you stretched out your arms and died for them. Today, if that's you guys if you don't know Jesus, if it's been just assumed grace, you've been coming to church a long time but you've never truly like bowed your heart to him, you've never said, Lord, I'm I'm all yours. Forgive me of my sins. I see it. I am guilty. And I trust in you. If you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity and ask you that if you want to, if today is the day you need Jesus, to raise your hand. I see you in the back, man. You can put your hand down. It's awesome. It's so awesome. Isn't it amazing? You've just one criminal. And yet Jesus promised, today you'll be with me in paradise. Anybody else? that's awesome I want to give the rest of you guys an opportunity today to think about look what's your walk like what's your walk like you walking with the Lord are you just been kind of playing around no more playing around you have fun I bet the disciples laughed more than anybody else on the face of the planet and the freedom that Christ had but no more playing around with your faith. Follow him, all right? Uh, I know your head's down, but whoever you were in the back, raise your hand. Uh, come see me after. I want to share a couple, couple things with you, all right? If you guys need prayer, as we close in worship, we'll be in the back. Come, let's pray, all right? We've got to be a body that prays. The Father's house is to be a house of prayer. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you guys on Wednesday, all right? Let's all stand and worship.